welcome to the award-winning Thoughts from a Page podcast, a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network, hosted by me, Cindy Burnett, a voracious reader and book columnist who provides you with casual author conversations, book recommendation episodes, and insider information on all of the newest releases that I have read and endorse, and on the publishing industry in my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. For more book recommendations or to find my backlist of interviews, visit my website at thoughtsfromapage.com. In 2023, I have a new segment on my Tuesday episodes called Read-Alike Requests. Listeners can submit a book they loved and tell me why they loved it, and I will suggest some similar reads. There is a Google form included in today's show notes if you would like to send in a request. If you love to read, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group to access additional content, including bonus episodes and early reads with prepub author chats. For March, there are two books, Colleen Oakley's new book, The Mostly True Story of Tanner and Louise, and Fifth Avenue Glamour Girl by Renee Rosen. And for April, my selection is The Comeback Summer by writing duo Allie Brady. The link to join is in the show notes. Today, I am chatting with William Kent Kruger about his audio original, The Levy. Kent is the New York Times bestselling author of The River We Remember, This Tender Land, and Ordinary Grace, as well as 19 acclaimed books in the Cork O'Connor Mystery Series including Lightning Strike and Fox Creek. He lives in the Twin Cities with his family. I hope you enjoy our conversation. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Welcome, Kent. How are you today? I'm doing very well. And you, Cindy? I'm doing quite well because I'm a huge fan of yours, and so I'm thrilled to pieces that we're getting to chat today. Well, I always love to hear something like that. Well, and we're getting to talk about something a little bit different for you, an audio original called The Levy. So I cannot wait to hear all about what that process was like for you and just to talk more about it all generally. Great. Well, let's do that. Well, before we start, what I usually do is have authors give me a quick synopsis of the book that we're talking about for those that won't have read it yet. So can you do that for me? Sure. The Levy is a novella, uh, which I completed during the pandemic. It uh, takes place in 1927 during what was the greatest flood in our nation's history, a time when the uh, Mississippi River poured out of its banks and and became this monster more than 80 miles wide uh, in the Memphis area. At the height of this flood in my story, four men in a rowboat battle the river in a desperate attempt to save a family trapped by the rising water. This is a story for me about 
courage and, and cowardice and sacrifices in this historic moment when the indomitable spirit of, uh, of humankind is pitted against the awesome and destructive power of nature. How was that? That's perfect. <laughs> you described it very well and very succinctly. I was so curious about this flood. I wasn't familiar with it. And obviously, it's part of the story. And then you talk more about it in your author's note. There must be some incredible photos left over from, from that time period and what it looked like. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, you know, I live on the Mississippi River. I live in St. Paul, uh, which is divided from uh, Minneapolis by the Mississippi River. So I've seen this river in my 40 years here. I've seen this river flood many, many times. So I've actually stood uh, well away from the overflowed banks and seen the power that a flood can generate. But seeing the photographs of the devastation from the flood in 1927 was just incredible. And reading about it, because I needed the historical research done, reading about it, and hundreds and hundreds of people were killed and hundreds of thousands of people were, uh, were left homeless. It was just an amazing natural disaster. So I live in Houston, and we are no strangers to bad floods. Harvey is the most recent and the worst that we have endured. And I am always amazed at how destructive water can be in those situations. Like, you know, flooding is bad. Obviously, it's very basic. But when you're living through it and you're watching it and you're seeing everything and how it's impacted by water, I mean, so many of our roads are still torn up because the water seeps underneath it and, and they've repaired some of them. But still, as we're driving along, Day to day, I'm like, oh my gosh, so much damage and long-term damage. So I can't even imagine something of the magnitude of this flood. You know, when it floods in areas where it does flood frequently, I'm thinking of the Southwest here. What they've told me is, is that you, you should not enter an area where six inches, I think it's six inches of moving water exists because six inches of moving water can push your car in directions you don't want to go. Imagine a flood that's 30 feet above flood level. Imagine water 30 feet above flood level and the destruction that that could cause. It's terrifying to think about. Yeah, it was fun to think about that as a matter <laughs> of fact. I was going to say a little more exciting for you. I just think, oh, but yes, when you're trying to create a story that definitely gives you a good impetus and a, a good thing to build on. And you also, I guess, take Faulkner's story, The Old Man, and you build a little bit on that or take that as your inspiration. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true, Cindy. Uh, when I was in my 20s, I was kind of a Faulkner fan back then. Anybody who reads Faulkner understands how difficult Faulkner can be to read. But I was really enamored of his writing back then. And uh, one day I read the, the Old Man, a novella that he wrote about a convict who is sent to rescue a pregnant woman and all of the complications that that causes for this guy. And I thought, this is just a terrific conceit for a story. So I sat down and tried to write my own short story based on uh, it, inspired by that story. Didn't do such a great job of it in my 20s. I, I tackled the story again in my 40s when I was taking a creative writing class at the University of Minnesota. And I expanded on it, but it still wasn't quite there. Then the pandemic came along, and uh, I finished a couple of novella-length manuscripts, or novel-length manuscripts. Didn't have any other ideas for anything at the moment. So we went back to, uh, to the idea for the levy and completely reworked the story uh, as it now stands, um, using everything that I've learned in all of these years as a storyteller. And I was so pleased with the result 
I thought it was so entertaining and it really lends itself to an audio format. And I would love to hear a little bit about what that was like writing for just an audio format versus writing for print, knowing it'll be turned into an audio. Well, I had terrific editors at Simon & Schuster, people who are quite experienced in how a print version uh, would be different for an audience listening to an audiobook. And they made some terrific suggestions in editing the text with that audience in mind. And what can I say? I, I was just so pleased with their suggestions and the result of it. And I think uh, J.D. Jackson, who reads the story, just does an amazing job with what we've given him. He has a very compelling voice. Indeed he does. Indeed he does. Well, what did you find you had to do to have somebody understand parts of the story as a listener versus as a reader? I mean, when there are certain descriptions, characterizations, the way people moved about, like what was the most different did you find? Well, one of the things I had to do was introduce my characters in a different way than in the written novella. Um, I had to introduce them uh, a little more upfront, a little more rapidly, uh, and a little more memorably so that they were fixed early on in the the reader's uh, imagination. Um, So there was that. There was a lot of I'm a fairly subtle writer in many ways, and I needed to cut out the subtlety and offer more concrete visual images for uh, readers to hang on to. So there was quite a bit of that. I think when characters move and are moving about each other, it seems like those are the things people say they really have to focus on a little bit more in the audio versus the written, because you are having to say things that would be very understandable if you were reading it. Yeah, you know... In uh, in a piece of writing, you can always go back and reread. Oh, I didn't quite get that. I need to go back and understand it. You don't have that luxury in an in an audio book, so you need to make sure everything is very clear for the reader right from the get go. And that's an interesting thought about introducing the characters. I'm not sure I had really thought about that and making them very distinct from each other. Yeah, which wasn't a difficult thing to do because I, in my mind's eye, as I was imagining the story and imagining all of those involved, it was easy for me to see these characters and to understand who they are, their motivations, all of that, but then to rewrite it in such a way that I could give the reader that that quick down and dirty, memorable down and dirty on a character was an interesting challenge. I bet so. I'm just completely fascinated by this audio boom. Just seems like that is one of those things that is continuing to grow and grow and grow. And which was one of the reasons that when my agent approached Simon & Schuster with the novella, they suggested the audio format. Let's give it a try as an audio format, because a novella is kind of, it's not, you can't find a lot of places these days to publish a, a novella. It's too long for most of the, you know, the magazine outlets who would publish short stories. And it's not really long enough to be up there on a shelf, bookshelf, uh, bookstore bookshelf with other longer novels. So uh, trying it as an audio original was really, I thought, a terrific idea. I agree with that, because the other thing that I find with novellas, especially if they're published in hardback, is they're just so expensive comparatively. When I go to buy them, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to pay $20, $21 for a novella when I could buy a paperback for $16.99. So I think it, it, it is hard to find that exact right market, and audio definitely seems to fit the bill. You know, and I think you, uh, you touched on it a moment ago. Audio is booming. More and more and more people are becoming lovers of audiobooks because they, you know, they meet our needs as a, you know, mobile society, a busy society so well. 
I do a lot of traveling for book events, uh, and my preferred uh, mode of travel is a car. And uh, whenever I take off in the car to do events someplace far away, I download two or three audiobooks to listen to as I'm traveling because a good audiobook with a, a terrific uh, reader just makes the miles fly by. And I have had people contact me and tell me that they listen to audiobooks as they do their housework or their yard work or while they're working out or while they're walking the dogs. So many good reasons for audiobooks to be becoming much more popular. I think that's right. With the advent of the iPhone, which obviously was a while ago now, but the ability to put AirPods in your ear or whatever type of headphones you're using, people can just take that with them anywhere. And you didn't used to really be able to do that. You had to take your Walkman or your Discman or whatever it is. And so it's just so much easier now to pop something in and listen to it. And you're not even having to worry about finding the right disc. It's just on your phone. You just pull it up, hit play and go. So yeah, it does make it a lot simpler. You know, I've had uh, some pushback by people who are who, who tell me they will never listen to an audiobook because they have to have the real thing in their hands. And I get that. That's just fine. But what I've tried to point out to them is, is that storytelling is an oral tradition. Long before we had a written language, we had stories. And stories were passed down from one generation to the next in the oral way. And stories were so important in our ancient cultures, particularly because they passed down our social norms, our spiritual beliefs, some of the ways in which we needed to behave in society. You know, as an oral tradition, it's been really important to us forever. I also point out to a lot of people that, you know, audiobooks, there are so many people out there who are blind readers, and uh, books for the blind are not necessarily easily come by. But with the, the advent and the proliferation of audiobooks, Blind readers can, or blind listeners, I guess you'd have to say, now have access to almost anything that they would want to, to listen to. Absolutely. And I think the other thing about audiobooks is it just takes a little bit of getting used to. I was never a person that said, I will never listen to audiobooks, but I wasn't a huge fan of them initially because I just hadn't done it. So I started with nonfiction because I think initially it's a little easier to follow nonfiction. But now I'm well into fiction as well, and I love it. And sometimes if my mind wanders, I just back it up a little bit and keep listening. And it does make you focus more. But I think anything that helps us continue to focus on focusing these days is only beneficial. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, you know, everything gets pulled in a million directions. So the fact that we do have to focus, you don't want to lose those skills. So I think it's great. And as you said earlier, you can do it in any number of times and places and ways. And that to me makes it a little more flexible than reading. So I just use it as an enhancement to my reading. I listen to something, I read something on my iPad, and I read something in print, and then I just, wherever I am, whatever works is what I'm reading. You know, there are so many ways for readers to access stories that we tell these days. Uh, you have the, the print version of the book, of course, you have the audio version, and you have ebooks. And when people ask me, so what's your preferred way? It's, my response is, I don't care. I don't care how you come to my work. I just want you to be able to have uh, enjoy my stories in whatever format you want to enjoy them. Exactly. Well, you touch on some important and constant themes in the levy, the power of nature, the importance of community, and how complex human beings can be. And these are really things that you address in your other books as well, because I've read a number of your books in your Cork O'Connor series. Why do these themes resonate with you? And why are they things that you return to again and again? I think they are... They are universals, really. What I try to write about 
at the bottom of everything are the universals that affect all human beings. We all experience adversity, obstacles. We all have hopes and dreams that we strive for, and there are things that prevent us from getting there. We all love and we all feel hatred. And, and so what I try to do is tap into the themes that, that anybody anywhere can relate to and that are simply important to us as human beings. I always try to tell a really good, compelling story. And as a storyteller, I've learned how to structure a story in a way that, that can help it become compelling. But I think in the end, the thing that makes it, that makes people fall in love with a story is, is that they can relate to whatever it is you're talking about. And there we go back to the universals of the human experience. And do you spend a lot of time in nature? Because that's one of my favorite aspects of your writing is how well you portray our relationship with nature, but the natural world itself. Oh, yeah. I do spend a lot of time. Yeah, I live in Minnesota. One of the things I love about living in the Twin Cities is it's a quick hop, skip, and jump to some of the most beautiful country, I think, in our entire nation. You go up north and you hit the beautiful Great North Woods, which I write about a lot in my Cork O'Connor series. You go south and you hit the beautiful agrarian Midwest, which I have used significantly in my standalone novels, Ordinary Grace in This Tender Land, and which will be the setting for my next standalone novel this fall. Nature speaks to me, and I try to listen, and uh, I try to offer the reader that love of nature that I feel so deeply. I love the natural world, and so those types of stories really appeal to me, and I love when I can read about them and feel like I'm literally transported somewhere. And I think that's what I like so much about your writing. You know, and there's a spiritual, there is that spiritual element to nature itself and to the way in which those of us who, who try deeply to, to go into it try to c convey to readers. One of the things I loved about the levee is, is that the river really becomes a thing, a sentient creature in this story, something that the narrator of the story, Dobbs, feels like he has to battle against. And I loved just the thinking about this monster that I've created. And that it can't be contained. I mean, that humans can try as best as they want to contain water and contain fire and all these other types of things. But when it rains that much and everything starts flowing, no matter what you do, at some point, it's not going to be contained. Yeah, you know, as human beings, we're so full of hubris. We think we can control everything. And the truth is, is that nature trumps us every time. Absolutely. But also, the thing that I like about your books is the idea that you want to preserve nature and honor it and take care of it. We spend a lot of time in national parks, and you really see there are two types of people, the people that are so happy to be there and understand the importance of these lands and protecting them, and the people that are there just to tromp through and tromp out and take their photo and go. Yeah, we have those people everywhere, even here in Minnesota. Yeah. There's no, I think, getting away from that. There are those who are always going to be callous to what nature, all of the blessings that nature offers. But you know, you can do your best to write about nature in, in this wonderfully grateful way and hope that you do some good. Absolutely. Share that with people so that maybe it educates them a little bit while they're enjoying a fabulous story. Well, whenever I write a mystery, that's one of the things that I strive for, not just to write a compelling mystery or thriller, but to offer readers something deeper, something more, something that when they close the the pages at the end of the, the book, I, I leave them something to actually think about and maybe have opened their eyes a little wider than they were before. I love that. 
You mentioned your new standalone just a minute ago, and I was telling you before we started recording that I was on Twitter today, and I saw you had posted the cover for it. The River We Remember is the title, correct? That's correct. And it is stunning. I was so happy that that happened to be the day that I opened up Twitter. You'd posted about it or tweeted about it. And I was like, oh, yay, we're talking today. But oh, what a beautiful cover. Tell me more about the book. The River We Remember, I think of as a companion novel to my two earlier standalone novels, Ordinary Grace and This Tender Land. Like those two earlier books, The River We Remember is set in southern Minnesota rather than the northern Minnesota of my Cork O'Connor series. And like those other two stories, it's set in an earlier time. Ordinary Grace was set in the summer of 1961, This Tender Land in the summer of 1932. And The River We Remember is set in the summer of 1958. You know, there's a solid mystery at the heart of it. The county's leading citizen is found uh, dead in the river, killed by a shotgun blast. And the question at the heart of the story is who did it? But it's really about a great deal more. It really deals a lot with the post-World War II and Korean War generation of veterans who came home. Men who went away, uh, they went away to war kids, and they came back very different men, wounded in so many different ways. And I wanted to tell a story that would allow me to explore the question of how did these men manage to heal? What were the elements involved in that? And that's really what's at the heart of the river we remember. That sounds so good. I hope it's going to show up on NetGalley soon. I think so. I, I think the ARCs are in the process of being created, so those should go out soon. So it should be on NetGalley fairly, fairly soon. Okay. And I'll touch base about getting an ARC, too, with your publicist. That sounds really good. And then what about Cork O'Connor? Well, I'm at work on the next Cork O'Connor book. I have two more under contract. This novel, which is, at the moment I'm calling Spirit Crossing, ought to be available in the fall of 2024. And uh, I'm just having a blast writing it. I just so enjoy that series. And as we were sitting here talking, I was thinking about the last one and how good it was. And again, the nature aspect, because they spend more time out and a lot more time in nature in that story. So I was just thinking, I can't wait for the next one, but you can't write them all at once. So I totally get it. We have to wait a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I can only do so much. You know, I get requests from readers, please write faster. And I tell them, you know, if I write faster, maybe they won't be as good as you would like them to be. Do you think you'll do another audio original at some point? Uh, well, let's see how this one does. And we'll see and we'll see what Simon & Schuster thinks about uh, how this one is re- uh, received. Uh, so who knows? I've had a wonderful time with this experience, so I would certainly be on board. Well, like you said, one step at a time. And you mentioned in your author's note at the end of the levy that you really found a lot of time to write during COVID, that you use that time period to go ahead and and get ahead and get some books generated. And that's wonderful you were able to write because I feel like people are in two camps. Either they were like you and they were really able to buckle down and write or people couldn't write at all. You know, I understand how something like the pandemic can halt your creative processes. It was such a difficult time, but I found it I responded differently to it. In a typical year, I'm probably doing 100 events around the country. But during the pandemic, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do all of that traveling. So it actually allowed me to just stay home and do nothing but write. So I wrote uh, two manuscripts, two novel-length manuscripts. I wrote three novella-length manuscripts. And it was such an incredibly creative time for me. So in the end, that was the one of the silver linings of the pandemic for me. 
Well, I also found if I could focus on something else other than doom scrolling and what was happening in the world, that I was happier and mentally much better off. So I think being able to, to focus on something else, direct your energy somewhere is, is a better solution, whatever it is you're doing. You know, I don't know how other writers operate, but for me, if I'm having any kind of difficulty in my life, what I do is I turn to my writing as a way to give me some peace. I think that makes perfect sense. Well, before we wrap up, what have you read recently that you really liked? Yes, yeah, Cindy, uh, I'm going to recommend a couple of books that are, aren't going to be out until this summer. I had the great good fortune of getting an early look at both of them, and they're just wonderful thrillers. The first is by a Midwest author, fellow Midwest author named Mindy Mejia, and the book is To Catch a Storm, and it is riveting. The second book is called Saving Miles. The author is Carl Vandrow. And I loved both of these books because they're compelled, not only compelling thrillers, but they're wonderfully, they're wonderfully human in the, in everything about them. I love when authors recommend books that aren't out yet because it helps me add new things to my list. Well, good, good. Then I've, uh, I've done my job. You have, you've done your job. <laughs> Kent, I'm so glad you joined me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. It was an honor and I can't wait for everybody to get to listen to The Levy. Well, it's been such a pleasure, Cindy. And I hope someday you invite me back. Of course I will. I'm already thinking that you have to come back for the river we remember. I'm all yours. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, Please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one -on -one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.